Welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded on Saturday, November 9, 2019. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the Alliance Party After Dark, and this evening we're having an informal discussion with Tim Cotton, the party's national director of operations. Tim has more than 30 years of experience in professional political operations. Whether through direct work experience or professional association membership, Tim has been a leader in every facet of federal, state, and local politics. He is the senior strategist of a political consulting firm and has retired from ordained ministry in the Reformed tradition. We focused most of our conversation around operational issues with the Alliance Party, such as what it takes to get established within each state of the union, how candidates are supported by the party, and what you can do to help the Alliance Party grow. But we also meandered into more philosophical subjects, such as how politics has been practiced over the years and why things seem so polarized these days. So right up front, I'm going to apologize for the poor quality of my own voice in this conversation. We conducted the conversation over a conference line, and my mobile phone struggled to keep its connection coherent. But through creative editing, we've tried to clean up most of the conversation as much as possible, but there are still some brief areas where you may miss a few words. The good news, however, is that Tim's voice came through loud and clear, which is great because he had the most important and interesting things to talk about anyways. We started off our conversation with a short discussion about money in politics and how this has not only influenced political campaigns, but how it has had a highly detrimental effect on the performance of our politicians. You see, the problem is this. You need money to hire a marketing team, reserve venues, purchase airtime, and so on. And because you need money, you're going to need donors. So how do you recognize the reality of having to take donations while at the same time trying to remain above the perception that you're trading political influence for the money necessary to run a campaign? So let's jump in right now and listen to Tim's response. Well, you're never going to take money out of politics because in the end, it's a marketing game. You can have the best candidate mm-hmm. in the world if nobody knows they're running they're never going to get elected. So, so a lot of the game is marketing, and that costs money. Um, you know, and, and, and the root cause of that is a democracy where people don't participate. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is you have, you have people who have no idea who's running, what the job is they're even running for, and how to choose which one. So because people don't participate, the job now becomes incumbent upon the candidates to market themselves and, you know, the saying in the business is he who markets best wins. Mm-hmm. And he who markets best is usually determined by who raises the most money. So in the end, right. because people don't participate in the process, the one who has the most money wins. So, you know, the people broke the process because you know, the people own it. They broke it because they don't participate in it. So what happens now is you got somebody running for office, and the only way – the only thing anybody knows about that office and those candidates is what they promote themselves or the attacks the other guy does because yeah. nobody follows nobody follows how did they vote you know we hire people and we don't pay attention to what they do when we hire them so yeah it's hard because the, the the entertainment element kind of creeps into it then because you have to be you know in order to be a good marketing person and get the message out you have to be somewhat entertaining if you're you know kind of a dead exactly. hand face and monotonic and so on, uh, pretty much like yours truly, <laughs> it's hard to, uh, you, I mean, you, you're just not an entertainer. And I think the, the problem then is that you have to become, in order to market correctly, you have to be an entertainer. And that, that sort of 
that's kind of depressing, actually. Uh, yeah, it, and, and and you think about our whole society is driven by entertainment, and 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 politics is really no different because you know everybody said you know talks about how elections changed in 1960 because of the televised uh, how how much the campaigns were televised and because mm-hmm. uh, JFK was a young young nice looking man with charisma. He, he was able to win the election, whereas in 1940, he may not have been able to win on those things. Right. I heard that, uh, I don't know how true the statistic is, but speaking of the election in 1960, that when the debates were taking place, the people who watched it on TV thought Kennedy won, but the people who listened to it on the radio thought Nixon won. And because Nixon is a very deadpan and, you know, very serious kind of guy. He, he's got the sort of scowl on his face all the time. And, and I guess that sort of scares people. So that's, that's I don't know how true the statistic is, but it, it uh, seems to make sense with what you're saying there. Yeah, it's, it's uh, very true. I, I've heard reports, and I'm not really sure how they know that, uh, unless you heard Lincoln speak, but I, I've heard people say that if, if uh, there was radio and television during Lincoln's day because his voice was so so kind of odd that mm-hmm. uh, people, would, people would never have voted for him. So I'm not sure how they know that. I guess maybe people wrote about it at that time that he had a very odd voice. Oh, yeah, I don't think they had uh, recording. It was not around for a few no. decades right. after that. So, yeah, <laughs> oh, but sure I, the, I've, I've heard that same thing. Pardon me? I'm sure on Facebook you could find the recording of uh, Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> they probably invented one somewhere or another. Yeah, I've actually, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I have a, I, I don't know where it is anymore, but I had a book of his. I just, I just loved reading him. That guy just had a way with words. It was incredible. Oh. Oh, yeah. And um, you, you don't see that. Well, it, sometimes these days, I think there's, there's um, you see some pretty good speeches once in a while, but it's kind of few and far between. His speeches were so full of um, metaphor references about things that everybody could re- could relate to and spoke to our, uh, uh, was that the better angels of us, and, and to borrow right. one of his phrases. So it, it, was, uh, it was a very effective uh speechwriter himself. I mean, I'm sure he had people write speeches for him, but I understand he also wrote a lot of his own speeches. So it's, uh, yeah, I, it's, it's an interesting question. Then, would he be able to survive today with uh, being uh, taller than the average person, skinnier than the average person, have a high voice? Um, probably uh, be difficult for him, I would think. He, he probably wouldn't make the primary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. That's... So what... Uh, um, what do you think is the solution I mean, in terms of like getting people to get more involved? I mean, uh, just preface my question a little bit. I remember as a kid, I was, I grew up in the seventies and um, we had to take uh, social studies classes. We studied the government, we studied geography, we, just, we studied other governments. And this is, this is like, you know, sixth, seventh and eighth grade sort of thing. Uh, so we didn't go in that much depth, but I, but I do remember, you know, coming out of that with, a fairly good understanding of, you know, how society is supposed to work and, you know, the importance of, uh, of being active in, in social issues. I, I don't know, is that being presented anymore at the education level or how is that, was that the right approach to get people involved or what was it? Well, I, I, I think, think things have changed. You know, we, everything we do is different than we used to do it. And the schools are still teaching how to get involved in politics 
the way it used to be. And I, I just don't think the world operates that any, that way anymore. Everything is so multimedia and, and whatnot. And, and politics is driven by passion. And, and today's passion is, is really impassionate because people are, they don't care. And the reason they don't care is because they're not really given a reason to care. I mean, most people, you know, if you talk to people who don't vote, they're all, all going to say the same thing. Oh, it doesn't matter. They're not, my vote doesn't count. They're not going to do anything right. for me. They're all no good. And there, somebody has to give them a reason to be passionate against that. And that's why it's so important that we're working towards a new kind a politician, a new kind of candidate, and um, not somebody that's party-driven. You know, the party is going, our brand is going to be, we promise you that if we say this person is nominated by the Alliance Party, there's certain things that that means. And that means you can trust this person and you can expect them to act with honor and integrity. And we'll be the first ones to police that if it doesn't work. But when you see mm-hmm. the Alliance Party in our and, and so there's, there's really no specific issues that are pushed. That's one thing that surprised me about the party, because the, the lack of, of having a whip, for example, um, tells me that you know, the party's really not pushing any particular issue so much as it is pushing the uh, code of behavior of the participants. Right. And, and the reason for that is because issues belong to the people. Issues don't belong to the party. And, and by that, I mean the platform that a politician, a candidate would have with the constituents of their district is a social contract between them. And that same issue may not work somewhere else. You know, someone in you know, Vermont running for state legislature will have very different um, constituents than somebody running in Montana. Mm-hmm. And for a national party to sit there and say, well, here's the issues that we're running on, it may not fit either one of those because the people are looking to elect somebody that represents them and their beliefs. They're not lo- and the problem today is that people are voting for what a party believes. Right. And, 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 that, and that falls apart. You can't have, I mean, can we live in a world where there's stricter gun control in New York City than there is in Dallas. I think we can. Right. I, think, I think that could still be one country. I think, that there, I think that there could be different parts of different states. You know, I think upstate New York may feel differently about women's right to choose than people in New York City might. Do they both yeah. have a right to what they believe? Absolutely. And, and so right. what happens is, is, is we as we as a party are not saying we're going to determine the issues. There, we're, there are certain issues, where, and, and a lot of it has to do with that different type of candidate. There are certain guidelines that, that unites us as a party. You know, what makes you part of the alliance is you believe in these guidelines. And, but, but you may have two people who, who are on opposite sides of a particular question. But it really is up to the people because the platform and the, and the issues belong to the people and not to the party. And that's where it's all falling apart. It's because basically all a party is, is they're sending out salespeople for their policies. For instance, I, a few years ago, I worked for 
a, a uh, guy running for state senate, right, mm-hmm. here in Virginia. And um, he, you know, every, all the polls said it was, you know, nearly 50-50. We had a good chance of winning. And the polls were saying that if we were well-funded, that we could market properly, we could win that state, state senate race. It was with the Democrats. So the candidate uh, made a public statement about, uh, you know, when asked about guns, you know, certain things every candidate would be asked no matter what they're running for. And he said, I own guns. My daughter and I go to the range sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and it was basically saying that, that he didn't really feel that he, people had to not have a right to have guns. You know, he went, he, and he went into, he believes that, you know, there, you know, there has to be common sense legislation, you know, but that doesn't mean we have to give up rights. Well, about two weeks later, word got mm-hmm. to the Democratic Party of Virginia Senate caucus leaders because, and to people who were lobbying against guns in Virginia and who were paying, paying the Democratic Party to run candidates who opposed guns. So what, what we were told is that he had to do a public retraction of that statement or they were going to cut us off because the people that were giving them the money said, we won't give you money if you're supporting candidates who aren't anti-gun. Okay. All right. So that entire race fell apart. He wouldn't change. He wouldn't change what he said. He said, it was true. I'm not changing something that's true. They, right. they Yeah, nor should they he. Cut he off. Did. Yeah. Right. He shut, they shut off all the money would not, and didn't give him another nickel. They washed their hands of him and walked away because the lobbyists said, we won't give you any more money if you back that candidate. Wow. Yeah, that's how, I mean, that, that's how issues can get forced upon people nationwide because the politicians, they get, this gets back to the money, right? The politicians right. become afraid to um, go against what their lobbyists are saying, and the lobbyists are the ones that are chipping in probably a lion's share of the donations, or at least a reliable share of the donations. And uh, that, uh, I, I, that kind of puts the squeeze on the politicians. I can imagine one politician, I'm going to stand on principle, I'm not going to, I'm not going to back off. Well, then guess what? You know, he chooses because else who is willing to play the game jump into the picture and get all kinds of funding. Right. And, uh, and, and those are the types of things that made me go, this is just not a game I want to play anymore. Yeah. 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 yeah a bit of an uphill battle because, you know, what, what the Alliance Party is trying to do in this situation is, is change the rules of the game. For the better, of course, but uh, the rules of the game are going well, to have to change. Well, I, think, I think the rules are still the same. It's how it's played. And what we really need to teach the people is that they really are still in charge. And, and, and that's really the biggest thing is we have to teach them and show them that they really are still in charge because that's where the numbers are. You know, in the end, at the end of the day, it's people who cast the vote and not money. And people yeah. and people can make that change if they're willing. And, you know, right now we're not living in a country where people are willing to make that change. But you have to start somewhere, that movement. You know, if, it's, if it takes 10 years to do, well, if, if you start it 10 years from now, it's 20 years away. You've got to start it. And, yeah, right. uphill, it's definitely an uphill battle. We know it's an uphill battle. But, but, but we believe that the people will prevail. 
They've done it before, and I think they will. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. And it, I, I think it's a great place for the Alliance Party really, really to, to sort of jump in and say, you know, this is, this is what we're going to do. I think right now, you know, I'm sort of rambling here, but I think right now a lot of people are getting disillusioned with politics, but people are still full of hope. I mean, I, I actually a couple of years ago did some canvassing um, for the Democratic Party um, here in the St. Louis area, and I got to meet a lot of people. Uh, and, I, you know, you go to a house, they, they give you this list of houses to visit, and you go to the house and you find Instead of being a Democratic member, they're actually a Republican member because the uh, you know, the information they gave me was wrong. The people moved or whatever. So I ended up talking to a lot of different people, different types of people, both Democrats and Republicans. And what struck me about this whole thing was before I started doing this canvassing, I thought, "Gosh, I hope I don't run into the opposition. These guys are going to be bad. They're going to be, you know, just chasing me with their shotguns off their property or whatever." Uh, that wasn't the case. You know, I, even, even among the staunch Republicans, uh, staunch Democrats, you talk to them one-on-one, uh, reasonable people, and they really, um, most of them still had hope for things getting better. And so I think, uh, in mind, it's really, uh, there is uh, a real potential for um, the Alliance Party to make a difference in this area. Absolutely, because what, what, what we see, it's, it's the extremes. It's that pendulum swing that we see, that, and it keeps swinging back and forth, and nothing actually ever gets done because it'll swing right, and then, that, mm-hmm. and, then everything will, and then everything will change that way. And then when it swings left, they spend all their time just on doing what the other side did, and they're never actually doing anything productive. And then it swings back the other way, and they, and they, and they swing back the other way. Yeah. So, yeah. And in Virginia, here's a classic example of all of a sudden, first time in I don't know how many, 30 years or 40 years, that Democrats controlled the two houses and the governor and the executive branch. They, so the Democrats are in complete control. Basically, whatever they want to do, they'll be able to do. So the governor, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't make a uniting statement, which he now is empowered to do. Right. He makes a de- de- divisive thing, and he makes a list of all those things they weren't allowed to do before, but now they'll be able to do. So he's so he's acting like he only represents the people who voted blue, and the red people yeah. don't count anymore until you take it back. And that's now you're talking about you're talking about the state of Virginia, right? Yes, in Virginia. Yeah. Okay. Because it's a, new, yeah. it's a new thing here. You know, it's a new thing that the Democrats are in complete control. And, and instead of using that power to unite the people of Virginia, he uses it to divide them even deeper by saying, now we can have what we want. Right. What does that mean for you? That means you can't have what you want. So you don't have one government. We always have one of two governments at work. We never have one government. Yeah, and I, who can blame people for getting motion sickness swinging back and forth in that pendulum like that, too? Well, it's so extreme, uh, too. Yes, you have to get motion sickness because it swings all the way as high as it'll go and then all the way as high as it goes the other way. Yeah. And it never rests. Yeah. Never rests. You've been listening to an interview with Tim Cotton, the Alliance Party's National Director of Operations. We'll be back after a short break. The two-party system that we've got is broken. The choices are awful. All we see is lies, cheating, deceit. You could say it about both parties. Neither one really stands for anything except acquiring and exercising power. The idea was to give the power to the people or the people who have given the power away.
And that's where the system broke. Government and our political system was designed to be malleable, you know, not rigid, not ossified, not always gridlocked. Absolute power does corrupt, absolutely, and that's why the founders set the system up to avoid having concentrated power in the executive and in the national branch. The founding documents are the best, it's the best government so far that we've come up with. Um, we're just not doing it. You know, it's tribalism, basically. If, if you're not on my tribe, then you're a bad person. You could say the sky is blue, and I'm going to say, no, it's green. I think it's right out of a 1930s era playbook where if you can divide people, make them feel like something's being taken from them, probably pays well for them to make sure that everybody's divided because, in essence, it keeps them in office, it keeps them in power, it keeps them employed. The amount of money that's involved in politics, it is crazy. Now Obama's a smart guy, but not even he could, uh, he wasn't going to do it either. And I was like, okay, that's it. If he can't do it, it's not going to happen because uh, that's when I knew that the, uh, the lobbyists and the corporate interests, uh, the outside private interests that really have a hand in making sure that our political system doesn't work, uh, I knew that they had won. And I said, okay, third party is the way to go. What I think we're trying to do here is, is to make systemic change. Yeah, we need the right people, but there's not any one person, any one charismatic personality that's going to bring about the change that we so desperately need in this country. Our biggest goals are election reform. Knock down those barriers that have been built in the ballot access game by the state governments. Fixing the dark money. Getting good health care out there. We need more women. We need more minorities. We need more occupations and backgrounds. We don't have set paradigms and beliefs. We just want to solve problems. So we're open books. We're data sensitive. We want data. And we want to solve solutions that help the most people. Let's forget about where we disagree. Let's start with where do we agree? Let facts be facts and let truth be truth and afford people the opportunity to go and find the information they need. We require term limits of all of our candidates. Now, if you have more choices and competition, uh, just like any free market enterprise, competition is going to give you a better product. Focus on innovation and really learning on a local level. Free press and educating people in an unbiased way. Protecting and, and controlling the deficit. Respect and courtesy. Honesty through transparency. Openness and transparency. Transparency. I think that's incredibly important uh, in a number of areas, but especially in finances, so that voters can connect the dots. We want to leave this place in a better condition than we left it for the next generations, pure and simple. Not just my children, all our American kids. We need to educate every single individual in this country. So every individual has tools they need to succeed in life. Ultimately, that's what we're doing this for, what we can help the American people be, not what we say they can be, but what they want to be, and we'll get our party to that point. We're supposed to help each other rise up, enlighten each other, and start by being civil and respecting other people's opinions. There's nobody left. We have to do it. There's right and there's wrong. <laughs> nobody owns it. You know, JFK, I believe, was quoted as saying something to the effect of we don't need to look for the Republican answer or the Democratic answer. We need to look for the correct answer. And that's the types of conversations we're not having. As a people, are we doing what we should be doing? We're back. We're listening to an interview with Tim Cotton, the Alliance Party's National Director of Operations. We've been discussing some of the larger issues in our political system and how it's progressed to its current divisive state. 
But now we're going to dive into some of the details associated with integrating the Alliance Party into state political systems. We also talk at length about several of the candidates who have started running for office under the Alliance banner. This is actually my favorite part of the discussion because it speaks directly toward actions that the party is taking today. No, it's not all about talk. The Alliance Party really is taking action right now. Listen in and learn some of the details. My understanding right now is that, you know, we would say, yes, we are in 29 states currently. Um, So what does that mean? Does that mean that we're actually registered as a legitimate party in that state? Well, it actually means something different in each state because, you know, there's 50 states and then there's five different options in each state. So there's all kinds of different different ways you have. Uh, first, first and foremost, you have federal um, things are done federally and then things are done by the state, you know, depending on which which way you're doing it. So so it depends on how that state says you need to be to be in. So. Some states mm-hmm. will be in because they are registered uh, with the federal, with the FEC. Some are in because they're registered with the Secretary of State. And, and some are, and, and even that recognition means something different because for many states, that's just the first step. And then there's a bunch of hoops you have to, to jump through. So, so it really wow. means something different. So when we say we're in 29 states, that means we have, 29 states where we are legally organized as a as a as the alliance party of that particular state, and we have a right to do what we're doing legally. So that's that's really what that means. And that does mean that each would then have to have a, uh, um, I guess a, um, um, uh, some sort of hierarchy or some sort of um, administration in place within right. that state exactly. as well. Yeah, okay. Right. In order, in order to do your initial your initial filings of any kind with anybody, you have to have, you know, officers. You know, so, so that means we have some kind of representation, some kind of officer um, apparatus in, in those states is what that means. Got it. Okay. So um, I, I would imagine that the target would to be to get into, uh, to be in, in all 50 states as well as the territories. Is that, uh, is that a plausible thing to do by the 2020 election cycle heats up? Well, well, the 2020 election cycle will start heating up um, by the end of December. <laughs> so uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't see that as happening, um, being established in 50 states in that amount of time. Um, actually, I'm quite sure that's not going to happen. Um, but that doesn't stop us from running candidates in hmm. those because we, we can still, you know, we still have the apparatus to be able to run candidates who, where there is no uh, state. We have, we have a, a, a young man in New York who is going to be running for the New York State Assembly in Brooklyn. And we mm-hmm. don't have um, a clear uh, set of officers and stuff in New York just yet. We, you know, I hope to and expect to be during that election cycle, but his candidacy will begin before that happens. So, so it doesn't stop us. We can have candidates in 50 states, but we may not have a state-run organization in those mm. things, necessarily. Okay, I also had the impression that you actually had to have an organization in a state in order to uh, get on the ballot and run as a candidate within that state, but I guess... No, no, I, I, you know, that's the fact that every state, is, every state is different. Some states will, will allow you to run as an independent, but you can say that you're running as an Alliance Party candidate, 
at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, so, so you don't even, you, even though there's no organization there, you can still say we're running with that, with that party called ballot identity. You know, because you may okay. not be a, quali- a ballot qualified party in that state where you're nominating, but you can by petition get on the ballot and, and identify yourself as an Alliance Party candidate, which is what we're well, whether you. Whether you're running within a, a, a party or not, you would still have to get some level of petition in order to get on the ballot in the state. Is that, or am I not uh, somewhat uninformed in that? Uh, again, that's going to be um, different states are going to be different things. Some states, um, you know, like a Democrat or a Republican or any state recognized party may be able to get you on just by, just by nomination. For instance, South Carolina and, and Minnesota. Are ballot qualified uh, affiliates mm-hmm. of the Alliance Party in their states, so they will be able to just have a nominating convention, and that candidate um, will be on. And then they could do uh, it may be by primary because you've got two different ones, but mm-hmm. you've got other states that aren't you know the hoops that you have to jump through. Um, you can't get on. You know, a lot some states you can't get on until after you've achieved something particular in an election. So you know, there isn't anything you can do to get on. So, so yeah, so it's, it's, there's so many variables in, in each state that we wow. have to uh, keep, keep track of and, and wow. use as tool. Yeah. It's kind of hard to keep track of all stuff. I mean, it, I guess that's why you need like, um, you know, officers in each state to, I guess, help track this stuff and answer all the questions for the uh, state level, um, um, I guess, organizations. Um, Right, because ultimately it's the state that nominates uh, that nominates the candidates. The the national party really only nominates the president and the vice presidential uh, electors. A congressional uh, a congressional candidate would be nominated. Uh, ultimately, really, that would happen by a congressional district committee, whereas a state committee would really be nominating for a state office. You know, governor, secretary of state. You know, something like the lieutenant governors, comptrollers, uh, whatever. And, and, then, and then it breaks down into districts that, that um, a congressional district committee would nominate the congressional candidate for that district. Okay. So once a party is established in a state, uh, are, they, are they, well, I guess it's going to vary by state, I'm sure. Do you have to have in order to... Um, create a nominee for a particular, let's say, let's say, for example, someone's going to run for a U.S. Congress seat, a representative seat or something. Is it necessary then to have a pension where their candidate is formally nominated? No, not necessarily. Some states will require a convention, but then, you know, they don't even define exactly what they mean by convention. It's basically an organized meeting of, of representatives around the state or around that district that would decide who who the nominee is. Oh, okay, so they could just get together like in uh, Joe's Bar and Grill and say, "This is an official meeting, and we're going to nominate somebody." And then, yeah, then, exactly. Uh, they document that. No. Okay. I, I mean, basically, each state affiliate will have its own constitution and bylaws that will that lays out how they will do their nomination. And a lot of that is influenced by what the state requirements are. So, and a lot of states don't really have particular requirements, uh, except for saying that the party has done so. But the state uh, affiliates will really 
um, determine what the nomination process is for their particular state, where and the national committee will will lay out how that happens for the presidential electors and vice presidential electors. Okay. Okay. Um, could you give me just um, it, it, just some flavor of some of the trouble you go through? Do you have like a war story or two you can tell me in terms of like you know, what how difficult it is to get established in states or some sort of barriers that, that uh, you know, roadblocks, if you will, that uh, the states have that we have to overcome? And, and I guess what I'm sort of getting at with this question right here is try to figure out um, are these barriers uh, really um, serving the, um, the good of the people or are they in place by other established political parties to try to, you know, try to close ranks a little bit. And, and, uh, by so. and large, the, the requirements to become a, uh, a ballot-qualified, recognized party, which is really the ultimate goal in each state. You know, that gives you the same recognition as, as major parties. Um, you know, generally, the, the most major parties you'll find is uh, four, usually, Democrats, Republicans, Greens, and Libertarians. You know, some will have one of these, but that's basically the big four. And, and so we're, we're shooting to be to make that the big five. And, th- and that separates us from the rest of the crowd also. But, but by and large, um, that's what you're really shooting for is to get that. And the, the rules are written to make sure that that field is as limited as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot, of, a lot of times it's only done by lawsuits. You know, a lot of the places where the Greens and the Libertarians are ballot qualified is because they've won a lawsuit there. Wow. It's to maintain power. Mm-hmm. The two parties, you know, that, that, you know, that try to look like they're warring with each other all the time are, are really conspiring against the people. <laughs> yeah. um, so can we talk about individual candidates that you're looking at at this point? Any, any notable candidates that come to your mind that uh, you feel comfortable talking about right now uh, or running in various different states and, and um, what type have, of... Uh, we have two congressional candidates in Texas that are, that are well underway. Their campaigns are in full swing. Steve Kuzmich and uh, Jay Taylor in Texas running for U.S. Congress. And, you know, they're, they're in full swing. They're, they're, they're doing the things they need to do. They're raising money. And uh, they're playing the game well. And I expect that they'll, they'll do well. They have a great message. And they've got, a, they've got good teams. And they're, they're good candidates. So I expect that they'll do well. And, again, it'll come down to marketing. You know, will they, mm-hmm. will they, it's a long road now to election day, 2020. And um, yeah. so, so we have, we have uh, one in, in Missouri, Robert Smith, who, um, you know, um, Texas isn't so hard to get on the ballot. They either are on the ballot or will be on the ballot. In Missouri, um, the numbers are, are much bigger to get on. It's usually, you know, a lot of times it's a certain percent of the people that voted in that district last time, and it can run as many as much as, you know, thousands of people have to sign a petition um, just, just to get you on the ballot. And, you know, wow. they, you know the, thing is, the thing is that they say, well, you need 3,000 um, 3, signatures. Well, you really have to get, you know, 4,000, maybe 5,000 to make sure that you, at the end of the day you end up with the number you need. Because some of well, them yeah. Away. Right, because you know, exactly you need some sort of need to build in some sort of margin. That sounds like a twenty or thirty percent margin in these petitions. At least, right. So, yeah. so you know, so I mean, he's working hard, 
and we're working with him and our, our media teams working with, with folks and preparing them. Um, Angela Green ran uh, for U.S. Senate under the Green banner in the last election and did very well and, and uh, uh, did exceptionally well. And um, she was considered a Where is she right now? She's, she's in Arizona. And, Arizona. Okay. Um, she, she's a, a very good candidate, and she's running for Congress in, in that state. So uh, these are very good candidates by any, by any, any um, measurement. For, mm-hmm. and she's a very good candidate, and I expect that she will do really well. I mentioned the young man in uh, New York that we have, and we have some, we have some state-level candidates. We've got, we got some people that aren't nominated yet because of the way that state does their nominations. They have, they'll have a convention. But we've got people in South Carolina and in Minnesota who are, who are officially seeking the nomination of those parties. So, hmm. um, so we're sort of not officially nominated now, but they'll be, they'll be going to the convention and asking that the convention nominate them. And, you know, and if they have an opponent, there may be a primary uh, to cover that as well. So we've got, and, and it's building. We have a lot of other people that we're talking to, but we've got some mm-hmm. very, very good candidates. We, you know, we just, we just had uh, we had candidates in the 2019 elections, which we really didn't expect to have, uh, that came to us very quickly. We have, we have, um, we have a young lady, a teenager, actually, who ran for city council in Davenport, Iowa, who got 31% of the vote. Wow. That, that's a respectable number for anybody. Yeah, that, that's a serious number. And, and you that's know, a- she, she has, and you know, the, on election night, she was talking to me about about running for uh, county board of supervisors next year. So, oh, she has so, some big plans. Is she? Uh, she's still. She says she's a teen. She's out of high school, I assume, or is she still? Yes, yeah, she's out of high school. She's eighteen years old. Wow. She'll be running, running for for that. And uh, we have, we have the, we had a, a young man, and and I I say young man because we have these are youngsters that are running. You know, millennials as people like to call them, that are running for office, and that's just great to see. That you know, taking ownership of their own future. And he went. He yeah. got. Um, he had 24,000 votes in, uh, in Virginia Beach running for city council. Wow. You know, that, that's a substantial number of people voting for a third-party candidate. For, that, that said yes. So, so, yeah, I mean, candidates, candidates is really what it's about. I mean, the whole idea is, is we need to build a structure that is going to give people representation in their government at every level, whether it be school board, town council, um, soil and water conservationists, you know, whatever it is where people live, they need to have an alternative to what they have now, and, and that is having candidates running. And that really has to be our focus, is that we need candidates offering that alternative, because otherwise it just becomes theoretical. You know, it just becomes a right. point that, you know, it's like, oh, this is what we think it ought to be. Well, we have to be changing people's lives where they live or we're not really doing anything. Yeah, you have to take action. I mean, hope without action uh, doesn't accomplish anything, so there has to be action. So speaking of that, what it's, type of, it's important um, for people to see their neighbors um, standing up and saying, hey, look, I think we need to make a change, and this party, I think, is the change. And it, it's, it's a big thing for people to see their neighbors doing that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That That's... Uh, that, that, that's exciting. Is that really, you know, we were talking about politics, you know, people not being involved in politics, sort of like 
being cynical about it, casting your vote, and just not really paying attention to what's going on. But that when when you know when your neighbors step forward and and it becomes like a, a true grassroots uh, type of effort, uh, that's exciting. That's going to get people excited. And, and, and it changes things. I can remember I, I was a very young man. Uh, I was, I don't know, in my early 20s, I would suppose. And I ran for the uh, union president in New York for the area that I, that I lived in. And I was like, you know, nobody that age runs for union and nobody even joins the union at that age, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I had gone to a couple of meetings and, you know, I, I'm, I'm like, these people are deciding things about my workplace and I need to be involved in this. And I ended up running for it. And um, when I started running, started a movement inside that union of all the other people that were my age, thereabouts, you know, they were coming to me and saying that, you know, I made being part of the union cool. Oh. And it wasn't, it wasn't cool before to do. Mm-hmm. And I ended up winning yeah. and, and, and the youngsters on the, on this job place were the ones who really, um, created all the progress and everything that had happened because it became not me running for office. It became a movement of mm-hmm. yes, young people can do this. And that's what we need to be doing with the Alliance Party is, yes, you know, Robert Kennedy said, it's your future. You need to seize it. And, and yeah. we need to be saying the same thing. That makes it really important to bring a lot of attention then to the younger people that are running um, that, uh, you know, it, it isn't just, uh, you know, two parties that uh, are running the show here. You know, it's got to be everybody, and it's got to be, including age, very, very young. I mean, there's really, I know there's no age limit on being a member of the House of Representatives. You know, there is for presidency, as far as I know, but not uh, any of the other positions. And so, um, wow, I would really encourage younger people to involve. That, That could be a good thing. Yeah, and I, and I think it's all going to come back to that same thing because that's kind of a war story that you're asking about is that we can make politics cool. Yeah, and and uh, participate or participatory, if right. I can say right. that correct word. Yeah. Right. That, so they can they can well, see that it, it it does make a difference, and they can get passionate. The um, and speaking of that, you know, when, when let's say someone decides to run, what, what sort of help does the Alliance Party provide for them when they decide to run? Well, I mean, once they decide to run, I mean, you know, there's, there's a process of we work with them and, and, you know, we talk with them and make sure they understand what the expectations are because, you know, a lot of times people don't really know what that means. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, we used to have a joke as campaign managers. We always used to talk about that. Anybody that wants to run for office is probably somebody that shouldn't. Um, mm-hmm. Because they don't really know what they're getting themselves into, and um, yeah, and, and so you gotta make sure that they understand that you know this is going to be part of your life for the next you know eight, ten, twelve months, and it's not something you can just do in your spare time. This is going to be this is going to be another job, depending on the, the level that they're they're running at. Right. But then, so we'll help them through that. We'll help them through the nomination process, and and we'll, 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 there's training, but we also they have access to professional consultants for free that, you know, other candidates are spending, you know, $2,000 a month for. So they mm-hmm. have access to things like that. We'll, we'll, we work on getting them voter lists. Um, we'll help them with targeting, who are their targets and how to reach them. We will teach them how to raise money because, you know, in essence, the candidate is the one that's going to be able to raise the money because it's one thing for, for me to say, hey, will you give 
you know, so-and-so money so that they can win their race in your town than to say, will you give money to the alliance party that we can support our candidates? You know, there's people who would do each, but, but generally a candidate will raise money um, on their own because people, people need to support candidates. They don't need to support a party. You know, we need to get away right. from that perspective. So that's uh, how about staffing, though? But, but and and I, that's all going to depend on the size of the of the uh, campaign and how much money they're raising. It may be a fully volunteer, and it may be staffing. I mean, we don't have staff to offer them, um, but that'll come out of you know. It needs to be somebody near them, like when they choose a treasurer uh, for their for the campaign. That means that really needs to be somebody they know, somebody that lives near them, somebody they trust. Our part mm-hmm. of it will be training and teaching that treasurer to do the job. So, mm-hmm. so that would be our part, and not necessarily providing the treasurer, but we'll provide it, be providing the help, whether it be from the national or from the state party, to ensure that you have the right people. Same thing with a campaign manager. You know, cause, cause, you know, campaign managers are like, are like football coaches. Everybody thinks they can do it. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it's, that's not necessarily true. So when somebody hires a campaign manager, um, if they're not really... Um, been involved in running campaigns, but they may have administrative um, success. You know, we can translate that into uh, a good campaign by, by you know, giving out a, a timeline and say, this is what you need to be working on now. Uh, don't even think about that. We'll, we'll talk about that on March 1st and, you know, kind of give them um, a, a road forward. Because, you know, it, it's, politics is like any, any game, no matter who's playing it or how you're playing it, there's certain ways that you do it. There's certain things that you're doing at certain times of the year and then you move into the next thing and you need to be, you know, no matter who you are, what party you're doing and how you're doing this, that's how the game is played and everybody does that same thing. Like you could buy a baseball team and say, I want to I want to play baseball a different way, but there's certain things you're going to do in order to be in the game you have to do. You've got to run to first base. It's where you run to second base. Right, game. right. <laughs> there's certain things you have to do and, and running a campaign is the same way. Is that no matter, no matter yeah. what, what on the outside, the basic way to win a campaign is the same for everybody. That's really it's really key information because you know I can imagine that somebody has you know that has the fire in the belly, has the passion to uh, to take on this 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 fairly arduous task of running for an office. Uh, boy oh boy, they need you know they they just need to learn. Uh, a lot of things in a very short period of time, I imagine, and, and, and staffing and, and roadmaps and so on. So I see that you know, really, uh, a really big uh, service Alliance Party would provide for them. Yeah, and, and I've seen candidates raise, you know, a million dollars that most people would say, well, we got a million dollars, no way you're going to raise. The other guys only raised half of that. But, it, you know, a lot depends on what you do with that a million dollars, too. You can you can. Yeah. You can you can spend that million dollars in a way that if you had raised no money, the effect would have been the same. Yeah, yeah, that that really comes down to experience, and that's where you needed to get the experienced people involved. Right, and 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 that's where so, we come in because we're because you know people that want to do this differently are generally going to be new at this. Mm-hmm. And and that's why you know teaching and training and preparing is is so much a part of what we need to do for candidates because that what that does is it, is it allows us to be able to say that anybody who wants to be a candidate can be a candidate and because we'll show you how to do it we're not just going to put your name on the ballot and sit back and see how you do 
You know, right. we're going to have a personal stake in everybody that bears our name. It, it's like family. Yeah. Well, there, there are, you know, speaking of the personal sacrifices, I can imagine when a candidate decides to, to run, uh, you know, they have to, they have their own lives too, right? And they have their own jobs or whatever. So, I mean, at some point, I would think that, you know, if, if they really get serious about it, they have to, it's not something you do in your spare time, they have to um, try to juggle, I guess, both. I mean, you can't, you know, I'm getting it. As I could say, you have a full-time job, you're a family or something like that. The conundrum here is that you could have really good potential or really good ideas. You could you could be president of the United States. You got to put food on the table for your family, and that juggling that, um, unfortunately, I think it can it can uh, probably discourage people from taking that step. Oh, without without a doubt, and that's why you see so many people in office who are who are you know wealthy, retired people who don't really have a forty fifty hour commitment to a job. Uh, they have a lot of flexibility. Maybe they can take a year off. I've seen people run for Congress and uh, put themselves on salary. Uh, their campaign pays them what they were getting when they were working, and they take a leave of absence from the job, and they they really become professional campaigner. They're not even, they haven't even been elected to anything. They're a professional campaigner for that office. Um, so, Is that even legal to do that? I mean, because it seems like oh, yeah. somewhat deceptive oh, yeah. if you're raising money for that. Well, they're just, they just make themselves a staff person, the same as hiring a, a campaign manager. It's perfectly legal. Um, I mean, ethically, it might sound a little weird, but it's legal, and sometimes they're not the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, exactly. But... Um, same thing I was saying with the money. It's really about how you spend your time. You have to maximize your time, and that's why you know, a campaign manager, having somebody who, who understands the game has to help you. There's certain things that you're going to do because candidates like, candidates like to talk in front of people because right? that's all they know about campaigning because that's what you see. The only thing you see about a campaign is I saw them on TV or I went to the meet and greet. You're not seeing what's going on behind the scenes, and that's what candidates yeah. really want to do. But sometimes that's really the least productive thing that you can do. So you, you always have to be looking at, you know, is it worth my time to do this or should I do this instead? And so managing your time is so important, too, because, you, because one, you don't want to burn out before it's over. And I've seen that happen, you know, come, mm-hmm. come August, the candidate's pretty well done. And it's just heating up at that point. And, and, and that's why it's important to be doing the certain things during a certain time. You, you know, don't worry about that you know now don't don't worry about mm-hmm. knocking doors in april that's that just, this isn't knocking door time we're going to do this now and then we'll be prepared and we'll have built an army by then to help you because you know the whole thing is you build the universe you know and and, and then yeah. you know the whole game is building a universe you know you know you've knocked doors and everything you've taken the data you probably worked with ngp van if you're working with the democrats and and you you know you're building that universe so that come get out the vote time you really know really know who your people are and that's mm-hmm. that's really the object of the game to build that universe so that you know i know exactly who's voting for my candidate and i can have people inside the election precincts with a list and i know when my people aren't voting so that i have my call, phone bankers calling them saying hey i noticed you haven't voted yet do you need a ride you know are you going to mm-hmm. vote after work because i i know who the people are that's you know that's building the universe and that's you know, that's, that's part of the game. So it all comes down to an election day. You know, we, we know who our people are, and it's all a matter of getting them out, get out the vote, 
the last weekend becomes the whole game comes down to that. Well, it certainly makes sense. I mean, I've, I've spent my life as an engineer, you know, building major products out there, designing and building products. And it's sort of the same thing. You know, you, you, you have a certain time to do certain things. And if you do something too early, it just gets, um, doesn't contribute at all to the final uh, product at all. So yeah, you, um, you I guess that's so my way. Right. You, you knock on someone's door in, in March or April, and they're not going to remember you when you when uh, come election day. Yeah, yeah. Because the that attention sounds, span uh, of the average voter is not that long. Yeah. Well, I, I can imagine we all get involved in our own lives, and you know, and, and somebody knocks on my door in April. Yeah, I I might remember the fact that somebody actually knocked on my door, but I won't recall anything else about them. So. Uh, We wrapped up our discussion by providing some final thoughts on how you can get involved in helping the Alliance Party put healthy political discussion back on the kitchen table where people can discuss where we are as a nation and where we would like to go. So what specifically can you do to help? Listen in on the final phase of our conversation and learn how you can mobilize your personal talents to help put our nation back on track. We talked about states before, and you know, and one of the things that that we're working on with states is we want each state to have a level of autonomy and independence that that they're operating under, and that's we call them protocol states. And and the idea behind that is that there's a certain level of criteria that they are able to do to be able to operate on their own and independently. So you know that means you know they have their full state of officers. They've got they've got their their paperwork. Everything is operating. They're able to have their own conventions. They're nominating their own candidates. They're raising their own money. They have their own media campaigns. They're doing voter registration and all these types of things. And and that's the ultimate goal in each state because once a state is doing that kind of thing, then they're looking for their candidates. And you know, the whole idea of of us at the national level is to push is to be a support system and to push everything down to to where people live. And as you know, as so as we we help states become protocol states that are operating, then those states then can divide up into congressional districts, county districts, town districts, to the point where, you know, everybody everybody living in a particular town knows who the Alliance Party people are in their town. They don't need to know who I am. They don't need to know who our national chairman is, but they need to know that Joe, who owns the who owns the donut shop down the road, is the chair of the local alliance party. And that makes them say, "So, Joe, tell me what do you know that I don't know?" And, and so, the, so our whole job is to be is to push everything down to the streets, and that's and that's what a protocol state will be able to do once they're able to operate as a state operation then everything will flow down into average people because we need to get we need to get into the into the streets and into the homes of people and sit down with them and talk about the things that they're talking about at their kitchen table and what are the things that matter to you people aren't sitting down and worrying about the policies and the issues that the big parties are talking about They're, they're talking about you know Will they be able to pay their mortgage? Are my kids going to a good school? Am I going to have health insurance? Will I be able to retire? These are the things that people are sitting around and talking about at their kitchen table, and we need to be talking about kitchen table issues, and that's done locally. And that's where that's really where politics needs to be happening uh, is, is at those kitchen tables. 
So right now, it's uh, it, we're we're still a year out from the next election. So right now, uh, yeah, I mean, as always, I imagine the Alliance Party is looking for volunteers that can fill a multitude of different uh, roles. Um, and it sounds to to really get familiar with the kitchen table issues, uh, need to draw people from all walks of life into this process and start collecting information and start getting people familiar with the party. And, and different skill sets, you know, because you know, every, everybody, everybody has some part they can play that they don't even realize, you know. We need people that can help with, you know, newsletters in the States, you know, with blogs. Can you do social media? Are you a graphic person that can make us little memes that we can put out that your state or your local can put out on Facebook? Are you somebody that can write a jingle maybe for some little, th- little thing that you're going to put out? You know, everybody has something that they can contribute that they may not even realize because nobody's ever given them the opportunity to use that particular skill because maybe it's just a fun hobby, but sometimes those fun hobbies can turn into something big. You know? and, 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 mm-hmm. th- and that's what we really need people to think about is, is you know, what, is it, what is my gift? What, you know, what is it that I can give to America? through the Alliance Party, because once everybody starts collectively adding all those skills and gifts together, we can change anything. Very well stated. And the, uh, the Alliance Party uh, obviously has a website, www.theallianceparty.com. And to go to the volunteer site, it's just uh, that address slash volunteer. So, uh, Correct. Absolutely. This uh, this is really really good. It's, it's a great way for people to get involved and feel like they're you know and not only feel like they're making a difference but actually do making a difference. Um, well, I, I guess I would like to reiterate candidates. I, I think uh, everybody out there listening is probably thinking that a candidate is a particular type of person that went to school for it or they grew up doing it or or have a special calling. But you know anybody who has an opinion or anybody who thinks things can be better is a potential candidate and, and, and you need to think about running for your, for your school board, for your town council or whatever it is that they, you think where you can make a difference and contact us through that website, click on become a leader and we will help you become that leader that you know you are, but I've just been afraid to do. Okay, Tim. Well, uh, thank you for stopping by and talking with us. It was a pleasure. Anytime. Thank you for listening to the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss any episodes. Each week we'll bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You may subscribe on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. All content for this podcast is copyright the Alliance Party. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Alliance Party. This podcast is a production of the Alliance Party a decades-long movement of fiscally conservative, moderate, accountable, and reasoned independents, former Democrats, former Republicans, and alienated voters who demand that our elected officials work in the spirit of nonpartisanship for all constituents and provide a better future for our country. This podcast was made possible by your donations to the Alliance Party. If you'd like to help sponsor this podcast directly, get in touch with us through our website at theallianceparty.com. If you'd like to join the Alliance Party, visit our website at theallianceparty.com. Drop in, see what we're all about, and get involved. Volunteer your time, make a donation, submit an article or blog, or run for office. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the Alliance Party After Dark, and on behalf of our guest this evening, Tim Cotton, and everyone at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead, and we hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe and be aware.